Good morning, Mission Church. I love that we got to see that video earlier and that we got to hear from Mike and Ashley and just so thankful for them being here today. Um, Not only because it ties into one of our themes this morning, which is of encouragement, um, but also just to hear their stories, to give us the opportunity today to encourage them and to pray for them and to help support them. It's really wonderful just hearing about that project. As Jesse mentioned, I did have the opportunity to go down with him a couple weeks ago, 48-hour whirlwind tour, and just to see the palpable love that the staff there has living out that love of Christ for these boys on the street. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, you go with the intention of wanting to provide some sort of service, some sort of encouragement to them, and you walk away feeling like you've been served and you've been encouraged in that. It's just a wonderful depiction of what we see as Paul in our series in Acts goes around to these other churches in these cities and he leaves them with encouragement and is also encouraged through that. It's being lived out today. So my name is Pastor Graydon. I am one of the elders here at Mission Church. It is my privilege, it is my pleasure to bring the word to you today. As I mentioned, we are in Acts. Uh, We are actually in part 40 of our Acts series. So we've been here for a minute and we are all the way to Acts chapter 20. So we still got a bit to go, all right? Uh, Last sermon, I only went 14 minutes over. So we'll see how it goes today, but I do have some precedent for that. We're going to read it in our passage today, okay? We're going to be in Acts chapter 20, and this is the third sermon that I've preached during this series. So if you happen to make either of the other two that I preached, you'll know two things about me. One, I love a recap. I love to know our historical context. I love to know where we're at in the story up until this point. I think it's important to know what has already taken place in the book and also to know a little bit about kind of the history in the Old Testament that we see because Paul uses that a lot to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, how he is the Passover lamb for everyone. He is the final sacrifice for us. So one, I love a recap. And two, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I love words. I love to understand what words mean. I love to dissect them. I love to see the cyclical nature in which God reveals himself to us in the Bible from Old Testament all the way through New, how he uses the same themes repetitively to try to get it through our thick skulls that we have a way to him through Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna look at some words and we're gonna look at some repetitive themes a little bit as we go into our series today. So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, um, if you didn't bring a hard Bible, you can go ahead and pull up your phone uh, and turn to Acts chapter 20. We're gonna be going through the first 16 verses today. So as you're getting there, just join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are that you are the author and sustainer of life, that you give us the strength and the energy and the time to do what you have called us to do. I ask that you would give us a single-minded focus today to be present in your word and that you would speak to us through the book of Acts and through Acts chapter 20. This morning, I ask that you would empower us to glorify you in everything we say and in everything we do. It's in your name we pray, 
the precious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So quick recap. Acts is written by Luke. This is a continuation of his gospel, the gospel of Luke, right? Same author. He's a physician by trade. And Luke wrote the gospel of Luke to give us the biography of Jesus, right? From birth all the way through resurrection. And then he continues it in Acts, starting with the ascension of Jesus and then the explosion of the church in growth or the way, right? So as we see in Acts, uh, the word is being preached all across Asia, into Europe, down into Africa as well. People are believing. It's a radical, multicultural, multi-ethnic movement, of believers who are following the risen Jesus. It is seen as a threat to the economic stability of the Roman Empire, to societal norms, to cultural norms, because it's challenging all of these norms through the love that these believers have for one another and their adherence to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the only way to eternal life. So Luke, in our series right now in chapter 20, is uh, traveling with Paul. He's been documenting the missionary journeys of Paul. We're in missionary journey number three. And Paul is a central figure throughout the book of Acts. He was once named Saul. He was a zealot Jew, knew his history, a scholar, persecuted Christians, followers of the way, because they were heretics. Right? They were heretics. They did not, uh, they rejected what some of the Jewish custom because they said Jesus is this Messiah that all of your scripture was pointing to. And Saul was uh, an accessory to that persecution. Right? Until on the road to Damascus, he is met by Jesus himself who says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he has a radical life change in that moment. He goes away, gets some education, then comes back, and the dude is on fire. For Christ, He is traveling to city after city after city, and what he does is talk about Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he's talking about Jesus. In general, his schedule looks something like this, right? He's going to arrive in the new city. He's going to go to the synagogue. He's going to set up there, and he's going to teach for as long as they let him teach until they kick him out. And then he's going to go to the public marketplace. He's going to do a, he's going to make tents. That's kind of his profession, right? So he's going to be a tent maker, and he's going to be talking about Jesus. He's going to be preaching Jesus to the Gentiles there. And then he's going to anger the wrong people eventually. He's going to be persecuted. He might get thrown in jail. He might get run out of town. He might decide it's time to go to the next city. But eventually, he's going to be put under some sort of threat in the city. He's going to be saved from that threat, sometimes through supernatural means. So just like an earthquake breaks open the jail cell and you convert the jailer and his family to Christianity and then the magistrates have to come and get you out and they got to take you away from the city and then you move on. Sometimes it's just, okay, it's time to move on to the next city. He's going to go to another city, a new city, and he's going to rinse and repeat, right? This is what he does. He talks about Jesus in every situation he's in, and then he moves on, and he talks about Jesus there. So that's who Paul is. Again, we're in the third missionary journey here. He had just left Ephesus, or he's leaving Ephesus at the beginning of our chapter. And as Pastor Daniel preached last week, there was a riot in Ephesus at this time. Paul decides it's time to say goodbye. He's been with these people in Ephesus for probably close to three years at this point. So he's got some deep roots there. This riot forms. He wants to address these folks. His disciples say, no, don't do that, Paul. Like, sit this one out, okay? Uh, And he's like, all right, fine. And then he's like, I guess I better move on, right? He had already had a plan to move up the northwest coast of the Aegean to Greece before he goes back to Syria. And so he says, it's time to go after three years in Ephesus. And as Pastor Daniel told us last week, and we're going to use this as our mantra today, Paul, or the Christian, needs to stay on purpose and be resolved. We're going to add to that 
this week. They're on purpose and they're resolved. So if you're able, please stand with me as we read our passage this morning. Acts chapter 20, verses one through 16 say, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Potter, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. After being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we can bring up that map just so we have a good picture of where Paul is at this point, right? He's traveling up the northwest coast. He was at Ephesus, which is the western coast of Turkey on the Mediterranean, and he's going up around the Aegean Sea, to Macedonia, which we see there in the first couple of verses. Uh, and they say that he uh, goes through these regions and gives them much encouragement. So those regions being those regions of Macedonia. If you want to know who he's visiting there, you can refer back to Acts 16 and 17. That's where we see in a prior missionary journey, the churches that are established there, who he's going to talking to, uh, and talking to. That's who he's stopping by uh, to meet in Macedonia. But in verse one, we see he's still in Ephesus. The riot has ceased, the uproar has ceased, and he sends for the disciples and he encourages them. He said farewell and departed. So again, key in on this word encouragement here. The word in the Greek is used to describe a characteristic of the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter. He's comforting these individuals who he's invested so much time with. Again, close to three years now, he's been with these fellow believers and he's encouraging them. This is a sad goodbye for him. This may be the last time that he ever sees these individuals. And so today, church, just take note. As we leave today, Encourage someone, give them some comfort. I don't know what everybody's going through today. I don't know what your particular scenario is or what your situation is, but we can all take a moment just as we leave to encourage as we depart. This is a blueprint for living life. So the believers come together. We can be mutually encouraged through the words of Jesus, through the scripture Right? And then it says, when he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, this is a different word. This one has more of a connotation of exhortation. There's a connotation of speaking about the logos, the word of God here. 
So again, a blueprint. We can comfort, we can encourage, we can exhort, and we can talk about Jesus. We can talk about Jesus, right, and find comfort in that together. The next few verses, he spent three months in Greece now. He's in Greece. He spent three months, and a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. So he decided to return through Macedonia. So the Christian is living on a purpose, is resolved, has a plan, sticks to the plan, but also flexes when the plan has to change. It's also flexible to change when needed. He has this plan from Greece to sail back to Syria, and yet there's a plot that's revealed to him somehow. We don't know how he gets wind of this, but there's a plot by the Jews probably to capture, kill, do something to Paul, right? Why is he trying to get back to Syria? Because he wants to make it down to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, which is a large Jewish holiday, right? They all are trying to get there, so there's likely a lot of Jews in Greece who are wanting to sail down to Syria. Maybe they wanted to ambush him on the ship. We don't necessarily know. What we do know is that Paul flexes with this plan. He's like, well, I'm still gonna get to Syria, but now I'm gonna double back the way that I came around the Aegean here. And he's taking with him, he's got his posse, right? He's got his bros. We got some fun names in here. I'm not gonna repeat all of them because I think I did pretty well reading them the first time. But there were a couple that I wanna highlight. Again, Bible nerd, I love the words. I love defining the words. I love understanding them. And as we established earlier in Acts, names are important in the Bible. Names are important, especially one name above all other names, Jesus. But otherwise in the Bible, we see that there is meaning behind some of these names. And for this example here, I wanna really illustrate the beauty of the diversity in the early church and just of Paul's traveling companions. So we have Sopater who's a Berean, right? As we established earlier in Acts in our study, the Bereans were checking everything that came from the pulpit, that came from the preaching with the words that they had. So today we're all going to be Bereans, right? Don't just take what I'm saying for granted. Don't just take it as fact. Check my words against what the scriptures have for you. So that's one of the individuals traveling with Paul here. We also have a couple of Thessalonians. Aristarchus, whose name generally means something like noble, tied to somebody of the upper class, part of the aristocracy, if I dare. And who is he traveling with from Thessalonia, from his same city of Thessalonica, Secundus, whose name means second. In the Roman Empire, slaves are generally not known by their names. They're given numbers. So Primus would be the top-ranking slave in a household. Secundus would be number two. And what we see here is these two individuals from the same town, one of a noble lineage, one a slave, are both just traveling with Paul because at the foot of the cross, the ground is equal for all of us. Upon a radical shift in your life to belief and adherence and obedience to Christ, there is no room for discrimination. There is only equality because we all fall short of the glory of God. Then he goes on with Gaius, Timothy, and the Asians, which these two names are fun too. Tychicus, which means fortunate, and uh, Trophimus, which means nutritious. So he's got fortune, he's got uh, good eats there, and he's got a couple other guys, right? So those are fun names. 
So he's taken the long way back. There are two more things that I want you to see here in verse six of this quick passage before we move on. First note that there is a perspective shift in verse six. He says, but we sailed away from Philippi. Again, who is the author of this book? It's Luke. And for the last couple of chapters, if you go back and notice, it'll say, Paul then did this, or they went here, they did this. Now we're back to this we language. Luke is back with Paul. They got the gang back together in Philippi. Where's Luke been this whole time for the last few years? We don't necessarily know. Maybe he was still in Philippi. Uh, They'd been there before on a prior missionary journey. We don't necessarily know, but they're back together now. And then one more note here in verse six, and you could just walk right by this. Luke does not give us a whole lot of detail here. So I want us to picture ourselves in the city at this time. It says, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. This is another Jewish holiday, the days of unleavened bread. It's also known as Passover. This is a pretty important holiday. Not the most important, probably after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but Passover, very important to the Jews. Paul, a Jewish scholar, likely knows this. We don't get any more detail about it because that's not Luke's intent here, but think about what they must have been doing in Philippi at this time. Let's use another uh, word from Paul here. In his letter to the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are a leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So Paul has made this connection now between Passover, which is the holiday that celebrates the exodus from Egypt, right? The Lord said to Moses that he's gonna visit 10 plagues upon Egypt, the 10th one being the destruction of the firstborn son of every household that did not have the lamb, a spotless lamb's blood painted over their doorframe. So when the angel of death comes to visit Egypt and he sees the lamb's blood over the doorframe, he passes over. This is what this holiday is representing. And Paul understands now that Christ is the final, the perfect Passover lamb. You've got to think that he's using this to do what in Philippi? To talk about Jesus, right? At this point, this is what Paul does, right? We don't get any of that in this text right here, but we just know that they are there in Philippi at the days of unleavened bread, at the Passover, guaranteed Paul is talking about Jesus, making some of these connections, and then they move on, right? We go on to verse seven in chapter 20. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room when we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. A few things I want to pull out here. One, Christians are meeting on the first day of the week. They're there to break bread. We're going to do that. We are doing that. We're meeting right here. We're going to break bread later on today. This is a tradition that goes back to these days that we share in common with the early church. And I also want you to see something else, right? Paul is on a roll. He's speaking until midnight. They gather to break bread to have an evening meal and dude is going until midnight. So again, I mentioned earlier, I've got some precedents, so get comfortable. Only 14 minutes in the first one, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes, okay? You guys up for that? You wanna sit around? What can we infer here? We can infer that the folks at Troas, the church at Troas, are hungry for the word, right? They're sitting up with it. And Eutychus, the poor young lad, right? He's listening too, but 
It's the first day of the week, which is the day after the Sabbath, probably a working day. He's probably hungry. It's super late. He's sitting by the window. They got the lamps on upstairs. I don't know if you guys have ever sat in a lamplit room, but sometimes when you get that yellow glow, it just it makes me a little bit more sleepy than I might normally be if it was dark. And so he's sitting by the window. He's probably got this nice breeze coming in. The connotation in this phrasing here is that he's being lulled to sleep. Now, I know none of us in here can empathize with this. None of us have ever gotten drowsy during a sermon. None of us have ever probably fallen asleep. But, And then if I can borrow a, one of Pastor Tom's jokes, right? Eutychus, that's a great name, right? Any pregnant women in the audience, think about it. Right? It means fortunate as well, same as Tychicus earlier. This is the same meaning here, fortunate. And yet what happens to him next is maybe not as fortunate. So, you know, one quick aside, in the, the last song that we just sang, we talked about, there's a phrase in there about the heroes of the faith. I don't, uh, the heroes of the faith. I don't know if any of you ever stop and think about like when you get to heaven, like who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to meet? Right? I feel like this is a very Christian thing to do, right? You sit and think like, oh, I want to go talk to Moses. Like, what was that like? Or I might meet Adam or for like the, the Bible nerds, right? You're like, oh, I want to meet Enoch. What was it like not to die and to just be taken into heaven? Right? Can you imagine going up to Eutychus in heaven now and being like, me too, bro. I feel you. I feel you. Right? That'd be fun. So it's the first day of the week. He's tired. He's sitting by this window. And I don't know if you guys have ever started doing the, the nodding off thing. If you haven't, I've got a little visual for you here. A couple of months ago, uh, we took a little family vacation to Mexico and we are coming back on the plane. Had not stayed up super late, did not get up very early, um, but I was sitting next to my daughter, Violet, she's four, and she was starting to, she was playing a game on her Kindle, she had her headphones on and she just starts doing this. So naturally being the, the wonderful father that I am, instead of grabbing her and laying her down, I just got my phone out and started recording. <laughs> Don't worry, I grabbed her soon after that. <laughs> she was sleepy. But that's, that's the image here we have of Eutychus, right? He's, he's drifting a little bit. He's trying to keep up. Paul is preaching. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the Passover blood. I don't know what Paul's talking about at the time. And Eutychus is like, yeah, no, like, I fall asleep. And then, the end of verse nine, being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So put yourself in this scenario. Put yourself in this situation. You're in this upstairs room. It's late. And Eutychus falls out the window. You think his parents were there? You think his friends were there? Put yourself in this situation. You see this young man either fall out a third story window or you hear it. It's traumatic, right? It's traumatic. And Paul... Hardly breaking his pace here, goes down, bent over him, takes him in his arms, and the words here mean enclosed him completely, lays on him and encloses him, and says, do not be alarmed, 
for his life is in him. So there's been some debate about, you know, is he actually dead in this moment or what does this mean that Paul's saying his life is in him? Well, the word dead here means, is defined as necros, it's the Greek word. We have a lot of English words we use that, usually pertaining to a corpse. There's no life in him, there's no breath, there's no ruach in him, he's dead. And also don't forget the author of the book is a physician. I think he knows how to check to see if somebody's dead, right? So Eutychus falls, he's dead. But Paul encloses him and the Holy Spirit acts through Paul to resurrect Eutychus. Bible nerds, this is not the first time this has happened in the Bible. This is not the first documented case we have of a young lad dying and a man laying over him and bringing him back to life. This isn't the second time. This is the third time this has happened in scripture. This is a repetitive theme of scripture that God uses to get our attention, right? To say, ooh, look at this hidden gem that I'm putting in scripture for you here. The other two times are in First and Second Kings. So you can do some homework this week. Paul takes him in his arms and closes him completely and says his life is in him. Eutychus is alive. So what do they do next? Do they pause and like celebrate? Do they wonder at this, this incredible thing that happened? Probably a little bit, right? But if we see in scripture, verse 11 says, and Paul went up and had broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Paul gets right back to business and his business is talking about Jesus, right? He said, okay, we've had a quick aside. We're gonna take a break. Now we can actually enjoy this meal together. But we're gonna talk about Jesus while we're doing it and converses until daylight. Again, church, this is probably the last time, or at least he has this thought in his head that this may be the last time he sees these folks. And he wants to squeeze every ounce of time and energy into conversating, conversing with these individuals, with this church, into talking about Jesus with these folks. And so again, as we talked about with the Passover and Philippi, you know Paul has that reference material. He's probably preaching about Jesus as the Passover lamb. What do you think he's talking about now? After this has just happened, Eutychus fell out the window, is revived. He's gotta be talking about the resurrection, right? They've got an illustration here because Paul is living in obedience to Christ and he is able to use his obedience to get words to speak to these people, to use examples, to illustrate his points, to talk about the power of Jesus Christ, to exhibit the power of the Holy Spirit acting in this moment. What a platform for him to just springboard off of, right? He's got a second win now. Now they're not just staying up till 2 a.m. He's going until daybreak talking about this. I want you to underline that in your Bible there that he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. There's a connotation associated with this phrase that means they're talking about the logos, the word of God. Because church, theme number one I want you to walk away with today is do not underestimate the value of discussing scripture, of talking about Jesus. If you were here two weeks ago, Pastor Johnny brought the word from Acts the first chapter of 19, he has titled it Authentic Versus Counterfeit Discipleship, and he gave us five questions to ask ourselves. And number two was, are you talking about Jesus? Johnny was talking about Jesus, so that's what we're gonna talk about today too, because we love Jesus at this church. 
and we will preach Jesus. And you, Christian, if you adhere to Jesus and to the beliefs of Christianity, then you will also be talking about Jesus. You talk about him here as we encourage one another, as we go out, as we exhort one another, as we go out, as we go and we eat our lunch, as we go home, as we start work, as we work tonight or tomorrow, as we rest, we're talking about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. Paul understands the value here. There is nothing more important in your life for a topic of discussion than Jesus. Preachers, whenever they come up to preach, you know, as they're, they're prepping and getting their materials ready, they're always trying to come up with like a personal anecdote, right? To help drive a point home, to illustrate a point. And, and, and church, this is the hardest part of preaching for me. Um, I like to just kind of go through the scripture, but finding those personal anecdotes can be challenging. Not so for this one. This one, I had one right off the bat. And it happened two years ago. My parents were in town visiting and I asked my mom, I said, did you have any regrets about how you raised us? I have two kids of my own. I was just thinking about that and I asked her and she answered almost immediately. She'd, she'd clearly given this some thought before. She said, one, I wish I would have fed you better food, more nutritious food. Uh, and two, I wish I would have said the name of Jesus more. Now they gave us every opportunity. They guided us down the right paths as best as I could. You could not ask for better parents. She said, I wish I would have said the name of Jesus more. And we can take advantage of this wisdom, of this blueprint that is scriptural. And it's so easy. The weather this weekend, beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I needed. I'm not built for the heat. Thank you, Jesus, for this cooler weather. I love it. Yesterday, we went on a hike. Uh, with a, I went with my wife and my kids and my in-laws went for a hike out at Government Canyon and we're driving up 151 about to get on 1604 North. And so if I can, if you could just visualize this, right? You're driving on 151 and you exit off to the right and then to go north, you have to split left to do like a 90 degree turn to get onto 1604. And so we're slowing down and there's a lot of cars in front of us and my daughter sitting behind me says, why are we slowing down? I say, well, there's a lot of cars. Why are there a lot of cars? Well, because the road is turning, it's pretty sharp. Well, why did God make it that way? <laughs> and I just like look over at my wife and I was like, oh man, now we've got to explain this. This is going to be, hmm, this is tricky. Well, like men made this road, but what a tricky, fun problem to have though, right? Because we're talking about Jesus, my, wife, my daughter's asking me questions now about like, well, why did God do this? God made everything, right? God loves us. And every question is about like, why did God do this? Why did God do this? And sometimes as a parent, you're like, this is frustrating. I don't want to have to answer this. It's too hard to explain this to a four-year-old. Like wait until you're like 17 but what a great problem to have, right? Like we get to talk about Jesus. She's lofting me softballs here. And I can either respond in frustration or I can respond with, yeah, let's talk about it a little bit more. Well, God made these materials that men are using to build this road, et cetera, right? Talk about Jesus. Say the name of Jesus. Theme number two for today that I want us to focus on is being present. Being present in the moment. Again, Paul, first day of the week, gathering with his church, sharing a good word, breaking bread, conversing until daylight. He is invested in the time with these people. He is present. 
in this moment. He has joy that thrives on the time spent talking about Jesus. So as I met with my discipleship group earlier in the week, we were trying to just like sketch out some outline thoughts for this sermon. And the question came up with like, who are these people for you who you thrive off that time with, who you are engaged with? I am an introvert. If it was up to me, and it's not because it's up to Jesus, but if it was up to me, I would spend time with three people and three people alone pretty much. That would be my wife and my two kids. Now, I'm not called to do that, but I thrive off time with them. I get energy from that. And so as I was sitting with my discipleship group and we were talking about this, I started thinking about other people outside of that. And you think about maybe like old college buddies or extended family when they come into town you want to stay up late with them. You're like, we want to play a game or you want to laugh. You want to cry. You want to hear from them. You want to share life together. Church, how beautiful would it be if these people in this room right now had that level of engagement? If I came to you and I said, listen, Paul went until midnight so we can at least go to noon today. Everybody was just like, I can't wait. I got all this energy now. I'm thriving. Let's talk about Jesus. We're going to go for two more hours. It's going to be incredible. Instead of already thinking about lunch or what you're going to do this afternoon, saying, man, like, Pastor Graydon, I don't even know you, but I want to get to know you. I want to talk to you more. I want to hear more about your life. I want to hear about your love of Jesus. Or to the person next to you, like, hey, let's talk about it. Let's cut it up together. This is the picture we have in Acts of the church. These folks are thriving on this moment. This may be the last time they see Paul. This might be the last time Paul sees them. They're staying up late. They're engaged. They're present in the moment. We are so conditioned to live outside of the moment. We're anxious about the future. We're making plans. We're languishing in the past. We're caught up on things that happened that we think still inform our today or have power over our today. We know these verses, right? We know what Jesus said about this in Matthew 6. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? It's Matthew 6, right? We know what it says in James chapter 4. It says, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And then later on it says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. There's scriptural wisdom here. They know that we want to think ahead, that we want to live our life in the future or being stuck in the past instead of being engaged in the present, in the moment. So church, I'm not saying don't sleep. I'm not saying don't take time for rest. Don't walk away here saying that. That's not what I said. I am saying that we can do better collectively Individually, we can do better. Anybody else in here just unbelievably selfish with their time and energy? Just me? Pastor Johnny, I'm sorry, I can't make it to that barbecue without borders because I'm already doing something Saturday morning and I don't like doing two things on Saturday. Pastor Daniel, I'm not gonna be able to make it to Bible study because I gotta work all day uh, and then maybe I need to clean my room. Those are good things, right? It's good to take rest. It's good to clean your room. We can do better, though. We can go harder. How dare 
we presume that God, the sustainer of our faith, cannot also sustain our energy and our strength. The arrogance of it. And I'm preaching to myself here. I'm the most selfish person I know with my time and energy. So church, work hard during the week. This is a command from scripture. Work hard to the glory of God. Go hard. God has given us a clear mandate that we are to have a Sabbath. That we are to have designated period of rest. But don't be lazy. We are conditioned to pursue excellence in comfort and stability. Everything around us today in culture is designed to give you comfort, to make your life easier. Is it working? You have less stress and anxiety? I think an easy illustration is like a smartphone, right? It was designed to like make things so much more easier for you in your daily life. Is it, is it doing that? Is your life less stressful than when you had a flip phone or before you had a cell phone? Mine's not. These are lies. These are lies to pursue excellence in comfort, that that is the ultimate goal to which we strive. This is an insidious lie, and this lie will erode away at your spirit so quietly and so effectively that you will not even know you are being deceived. Wake up. Go hard. Be present. Talk about Jesus. The Christian lives on a purpose. They're resolute. They flex when they need. And they are present in the moment. We'll close it out. The last three verses here. Paul's sailing to a number of different places trying to get to Syria. And we see that Paul had a plan He had this plan before he took off on the journey. These are the places he wants to go with. And we saw that he had to flex, but he stayed on purpose. He stayed resolved to where he wanted to go. And everywhere he goes, he is present with those believers, encouraging and exhorting them and talking about Jesus. Because there is nothing more important. There is nothing more important. So church, as you go out today, Be encouraged and be an encourager. Be exhorted and exhort. Talk about Jesus. Invest in those relationships. Invest in these people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that you have given us today. Thank you for the blueprint that you have laid out for us in scripture. Thank you for the revelation of yourself through the work of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us, that he was the perfect spotless lamb, the final sacrifice for our sin. Lord, we thank you for making a way for us to be reconciled, to know you, and to share you Lord, sustain us, give us strength, give us energy, give us conviction to speak your name, to talk about you, to give you the glory. Lord, we pray 
As Psalm 73 says, nevertheless, you are continually, continually with us. You hold our hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, make these words real to us today. Let us feel them, that you are our strength, you are our portion, and we can run our race with strength and with fire and with energy. The wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So church, as we come to our time of breaking of the bread of communion,